Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Christ is the standard, and none of us reach it, okay? None of us. Yet at the same time, you and I both know, we understand, man, because of our walk with the Lord, because of the reading of the Word, that there's some things that, man, we just need to deal with. And the Word tells us in multiple places, again, you who are mature in the Lord, if you see a brother who's sinning, man, you ought to go to him. You ought to encourage him. You know, that's long before that 1 Corinthians chapter 5 comes into play. You see, they, apparently this has gone on for a while and nobody really confronted him as far as you, you need to stop that, you need to repent of it. Believers are filled with the Holy Spirit and taught by the truth of God how to live. Pastor David sees the church as a group changed by God to be a shining example to this world. Too many times the culture can shape the church instead of the church pushing forward with the standard of God. Believers do not need to be self-righteous. Rather, obeying the truth of God is a way of demonstrating the transformation, forgiveness, and healing that God desires for all people. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, A Time of Reconciliation. felt they needed to take a hard stand. Some, some I believe, they, they, they felt it was a harsh stand. That, that, that's too hard, Paul. It was so hard that they weren't even willing to make the call, so Paul had to make the call for them. Um, and we see still in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul goes ahead and he, he states the case. He says, hey, for I indeed, even though I'm absent in body but present in spirit, I've already judged as though I were present. I've already judged him who has done this deed. So then in verse 4, he says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit, because I'm going to be with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Wow. Wow. I don't care what way you slice it. That's a powerful declaration in a whole lot of different ways. Paul takes the issue very seriously, and he takes also even the judgment upon that individual very seriously. He tells him, first of all, when you gather together, when you come together as the church, that's something that, again, that needed to be done as a church as a whole. The church as a whole had accepted that lifestyle. The church as, as, as a whole had, had been all puffed up about, hey, yeah, this brother's over here. He's living this way, but that's okay. We love him in Jesus, and it's okay. So Paul says, no, when you guys come together as the church, it needs to be taken care of. It needed to be seen and recognized by the whole body of believers, I believe, as a wake-up call to holiness. 
let's put the real deal out here for a moment just because it's you and me and nobody else. But if suddenly we brought up somebody's name within the fellowship and said, hey, this brother over here, he's doing this and doing this and doing this, and he claims to be a Christian, and we need to disassociate ourselves from this brother. You don't think that would get some attention of everybody? Whoa, I guess I better clean my act up. I don't want my name mentioned up there. And I I think that's what he's saying. Hey, when you gather together. He says, not only when you gather together, but he says, along with my spirit. Now, that's not some new agey kind of thing. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to be with you. No, that's what Paul is saying, man. I am in full, absolute, and total agreement with what needs to be done. So when you do this, understand, man, I'm, I'm in full agreement. Paul wanted to assure them that although he was absent from the flesh, he was very, very much there in the spirit. He knew it was going to be a difficult call to make, but he knew it had to be done. And he, that's why he says, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to do this right they weren't going to be able to do it on their own power, not, not even on their own authority. Well, you know, we use a church. We, you know, our church polity or our church policy says that you ought not be doing it. No, it has, really, it has nothing to do with church polity. It has everything to do with the morality that God has set forth from the Old Testament on. Rather, they had the letters of Paul or, the, or even the teachings of Christ at that point in time. Man, God had set these things in motion long, long ago. And same for us. God's Word doesn't change. It, it doesn't float with, with, again, the culture. It remains true. And especially an issue of such an egregious sin as this. Paul, Paul says, this such sexual immorality as it's, it's not even mentioned among the Gentiles. Now that doesn't say the Gentiles weren't doing it, okay? It's just that they, they weren't proud of it, you know? They, 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 they didn't boast about it. It was one of those hidden sin kind of things. He says, but they don't boast about it, but yet you as the church, you're puffed up about this thing. Dealing with this in their own power without the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, would definitely open them up to a multitude of attacks from the enemy. Man, they try to set this, and all of a sudden, man, all kinds of stuff comes. But when we move in the power of Christ, in the power, the anointing of his Holy Spirit, then these things can be done. And then he tells them, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now guys, as I said before, that's a difficult saying. Even before you go into the fullness of the understanding of it, just the very fact, hey, deliver that guy to Satan so that his flesh might be destroyed. And you think, whoa, that's some major stuff going on there. Basically, what Paul is saying, the covering of the church, the covering of the Holy Spirit in this individual's life is going to be removed. Going to be out there just on his own and opening himself up to all kinds of attacks, all kinds of issues, all kinds of physical attacks from the enemy. And yet, in the midst of all of that, it appears that Paul, and it doesn't just appear, man, it's clear that Paul says, do this for the hope of what? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. The guy's being an absolute idiot. He's been absolutely, totally, grossly immoral. Kick him out of your church. Walk away. No, that's not what Paul said. He doesn't say kick him out 
and walk away. He says, remove him from the fellowship in order that, again, it might work within him that his soul might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. A reason for that harshness was because of the importance of the man's soul, his eternal salvation really at stake here. Man, are you really saved and you can live like that? You really call Jesus your Lord and you live like that? You're not going to do that here. And it caused this man, I believe, to really consider his ways once they, they, once they drew that line. It would appear as though the church had done exactly what Paul told them to do. Now that we're back in 2 Corinthians, you can flip back over there with me if you would. It would appear as though the church had done that. Done just as Paul told them to do. They kicked the guy out of the fellowship. Whatever kind of reaction or interaction they had with him outside of the church, uh, within the city and business and stuff, we don't know. But we do know this, he was taken out of the fellowship of the church. And as we look at what Paul writes now in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we see that Paul agrees with the fact that this man, he, he, he caused great grief within the body. Not, Paul says, not, not so much to me, but to the fellowship there in Corinth. Look what it says in verse 5. If anyone has caused grief, he, he's, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent not to be too severe. You know, the, the actions of that guy, man, he's grieved the whole church, and no doubt it would. Paul recognized that the grief caused by this man's sin, it, it called for a severe punishment, and in the midst of that punishment, I believe that there was grief within the body. Again, this is speculation on my part, but follow with me in a moment, or for a moment. Somebody living that way and whether it be that sin or another egregious sin that, that becomes so apparent, if nobody likes the guy, it had been gone a long time ago, right? But if he was kind of a favored of the fellowship, and if he was a guy, man, he's always doing stuff, man. Uh, man, he, he tithes really big, so we don't want to kick him out of our church. Are you kidding me, Paul? Uh, you know, if he's doing all kinds of things, but he's uh, it's just this one little area in his life, you know, his, his uh, sexual immorality. We don't want to kick him out just for that. Well, Paul says, man, it, it's grieving. I know that. And even kicking the guy out has been grievous. So again, he, he understood, even in the midst of that, in the severity of that punishment of kicking him out of the fellowship, he also understood that that punishment shouldn't be too severe. Because why? The whole reason, again, was for reconciliation, to bring the guy back. So, man, if the guy gets totally defeated and, man, he's just gone, then, then suddenly you've not really done what the Lord has called you to do. Apparently, word had gotten back to Paul that not only had the punishment been dealt out against this man, but the desired response from the punishment had also been accomplished. Apparently, there was now a, a heart of repentance within this man as well as a deep sorrow for his sin. And again, speculation on that, but it's because of what Paul is saying here. Hey, we need to bring that guy back in. The church now needed to work toward that end of reconciliation. Look what it says in verse 6. It says, now this, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather now to forgive and comfort him, 
lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him, for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I, I also forgive, Paul writes. For if indeed I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. And again, Paul says, man, it's, it's time to bring that brother back in. You know, reaffirm your love for him, your care for him. Bring him back in. Don't, don't let Satan have a, such a heyday and a field day with this brother that he gets so discouraged that he's forever gone. And if you've forgiven him, I've forgiven him. And listen, I, I've, I've forgiven him. There's, there's nothing that I hold against him in any way. But we do know that Satan looks to take advantage of us in a lot of different ways. Now, I want to stop right here and put like a, a bit of a sidebar. The church can be too legalistic. We can be too legalistic. I love the words of Jesus when the woman who was caught in adultery was, was thrown down at his feet by the Pharisees. They said, what are you going to do, Jesus? This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And again, the man wasn't involved in that one, but here the woman was. You remember Jesus' words? He didn't say she's not guilty, and neither did he pick up a stone to throw at her. He just simply said, okay, you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. So you see, there's got to be balance in the midst of this. There's got to be an understanding that, man, none of us, none of us are perfect. None of us are going to walk in a way that, that is so pristine and pure that suddenly we become the standard for the church. No. Christ is the standard, and none of us reach it, okay? None of us. But yet at the same time, you and I both know, we understand, man, because of our walk with the Lord, because of the reading of the Word, that there's some things that, man, we just need to deal with. And the Word tells us in multiple places, again, you who are mature in the Lord, if you see a brother who's sinning, man, you ought to go to him, you ought to encourage him. You know, that's long before that First Corinthians chapter 5 comes into play. You see, they apparently this has gone on for a while and nobody really confronted him as far as you, you need to stop that. You need to repent of it. You know, you're, you're, you're going against the Spirit of God. You're going against the Word of God. Now, that's what we're called to do on the initial basis. When there's a situation that we as a church, we as a leadership, you as brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we go to one another. We bring that situation up and Man, we pray for them. We encourage them. We don't go there with a holier-than-thou attitude. We go there as a brother or sister who struggles in areas maybe not like that struggle, but maybe in other areas. And we go and say, hey, we're on this journey together. Let me pray with you. Let me, let me encourage you. I know you're struggling in this area. Let's walk this next mile together. Let's take this next step together. You see, that's the Spirit of Christ that works within now, if that brother said, no, forget it. You get out of here. I don't want to hear you. Well, the Matthew 18 thing that Jesus speaks about, then you bring another and you talk to him, hey, look, you know, it's common knowledge what's going on here. You need to change. And he says, if he doesn't agree, then you bring him before the church. And then if he, if he refuses to hear the church, then Jesus says, then you treat him like a, like a tax collector. Now, my next question to you is, how did Jesus treat tax collectors? He loved them into the kingdom. 
He didn't ignore them. He didn't walk away from them. He treated them, you just don't know. You just don't know the truth. And so he continued to pour into their lives in order that their lives would be changed from the inside out. From the inside out. Let's move on. Since Paul had been the one that directed them to act originally, he also publicly confirmed his forgiveness of the man, again, with that desire for the process of reconciliation. And in that process, then, the church itself would be strengthened, and this individual and the church, then, might be able to go forward with the grace and mercy of God upon them, not allowing Satan to have that opportunity to take advantage of the situation in any way. Why? Because they're working according to the Spirit of God. They dealt with sin, there was repentance, there was reconciliation. And there's no doubt that this man had suffered from the punishment since there was an apparent repentance. Rather rather than that man going on in, in, in despair, wondering if he was ever going to be allowed back into the fellowship, Paul says, no, it's time to reach out to that brother, restore him. Now here in the midst of that, the church was showing their surrounding culture, the, the nation that they lived, or the city, the community, that they lived in, just as we in the church today, when we live and respond correctly as the church. The church in Corinth was showing their culture, their community, at least two important lessons. And this is what I want you to get out of this if you get nothing else out of this. Two important lessons that the church showed the community that they lived in by dealing with this man, both in a, uh, a, a judgment way and also in a forgiveness, reconciliation way. First of all, they showed the surrounding culture that the church must stand and be led by God's word, by the principles of God's word, and not the mores and the leanings of the society that we live in. Just because our society says, that's okay. Beloved, in no way does that give the church carte blanche to live that way. We have, again, the principles of God's Word. And when we live that way, and again, not in this holier-than-thou kind of a situation, but we live in what we know to be right and we live right. When we're living that way, then we show the culture around us that we stand for the truth. We believe that there is a truth. Not a relative truth that's my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, your truth is your truth. But there is a truth that we need to live by. That's the first thing that we show. The second thing, at the very same time, the church needs to be quick in demonstrating the love and the forgiveness of of God to all that repent. So we have a standard. It's not our standard. It's not Calvary Chapel standard. It's not a Baptist standard or a Nazarene standard or a Presbyterian standard. It's the standard of God's Word. We have a standard. We say when we move against that standard, that's sin. And you continue in that sin and blatantly in that sin. I'm not talking about, man, every once in a while I stumble or, man, I have an area in this life, man, pray for me. But no, just blatantly and out loud living against that principle. And the church deals with it because the church takes a stand. Well, the church also needs to be bold enough to show our surrounding community and our culture what forgiveness looks like. Because any that come to the Lord. He will in no wise cast out. You see, we need to be living examples of that. 
So when somebody does come in repentance, we say, man, praise God. Praise God, man. Let me, let, let, let's work with you in, in discipleship now. Let's, let's, let's get you mature so that you're not susceptible to that thing again. Because if you really want your life to change, the Holy Spirit can change you. And brothers and sisters coming alongside of you as iron sharpens iron, so one brother sharpens another. And that's who we ought to be in Christ. That's what the, that's what the world ought to see out there. Is it, man, yeah, we, we're not perfect. Christ is perfect. And we come in and we, we encourage each other and we, we, we stand beside each other and we walk with each other. We're not going to be tolerant or inclusive of sinful lifestyles. But what we are going to say is, this is the Word of God. If you're willing to live in the Word of God, man, we want to walk with you. But if you continue to walk away from that and try to declare yourself as a believer, then I I need to look at you as a non-believer. I'm going to love you still, and I'm going to keep sharing the Word with you. But you're not a believer. You're not a part of this fellowship. You see, church, if we don't have those two things going for us, the standard of truth and a process of reconciliation, if we don't have those two things going for us, we not only become irrelevant to the world and to our surrounding culture, but we actually we become no different than the surrounding culture. Suddenly, we're, we're, we're so blended in The culture looks at us and says, man, we are so glaringly hypocritical because you say that this is the standard. And this guy came and he he asked for forgiveness, but you wouldn't give him forgiveness. You kept him out of there. No, we need to offer forgiveness because, again, that's the Spirit of Christ. And so we can't say, no, there's no forgiveness because, you know what, again, he or she who is without sin, let them cast the first stone. I believe that's why Jesus said that. Hey, none of us are perfect. So let's deal with sin in a real way. But at the same time, we've got to be willing to offer forgiveness. We who declare that we've been forgiven so much all too often fail to forgive others. Even when repentance is shown, sometimes we're just slow or or we just fail to restore them back into the fold of God's love in His church. You failed twice already. We're not going to take you back. Uh, or either that or we adopt the, uh, uh, the three strikes and you're out kind of a thing. How many times do I forgive my brother, Lord? Seven times? That's a real holy number, seven. And what did Jesus tell Peter? No, Peter, you got it all wrong. Seventy times seven. And we get out our calculators and we figure, okay, 70 times seven, how many is that? Okay, man, you're working on it because you got 390 so. Now, again, the forgiveness. How, how often do we forgive? How often has the Lord forgiven you? Okay? Let's just put it that way. How long, how often has the Lord forgiven you? In whatever culture, in whatever time period we find ourselves, the church needs to be the church. We need to be seen as the bride of Christ. We need to be seen as that city on a hill. We need to be seen as salt and light to a lost and a dying culture. And if we're unable to do that, It's because we're acting and responding too much like the world rather than the peculiar people we're called to be. That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. 
Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit TheOpenWord.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have, or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We're thankful that you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet Saturday nights at 6.30, Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can find our address and our directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links at the bottom of the page to our church website. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.